Hello, and welcome to the first installment of the Contemporary Truths Podcast. I'm your host, Alejandra Espino, and joining me today, we have Brian Padilla, Michael Fernando Flores, and Ashley Espinosa Zavala. In today's podcast, we will discuss and explore the discursive flaws and moral contradictions of various readings regarding ethnic minority interventions that dealt with injustices and discrimination. We will make hefty contradictory analysis on literary works such as Caballeros in Indian by Ben Olgan, Claudia Milan and Ifoma Nwanko's Interoceanic Diasporas and the Panama Canal, Canal's Centennial. George J. Sanchez's Americanization and Mexican Immigrant Women's and Bryant Burt's Interning America's Colonial History, the Anthologies and Poetry of Lawson, Jose, and Nada. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast on the histories of African Americans, Asian Americans, Chicano, Latino, and Native Americans. Have you all ever heard of the quote, Yo no soy mexicano, yo no soy gringo, yo no soy chicano, no soy gringo en el Estados Unidos y mexicano en México, soy chicano en todas partes, no tengo que asimilarme a nada, tengo mi propia historia. This was said by Carlos Fuentes, a famous Mexican novelist in the 20th century who guided the cultural renaissance of a Latino world in the United States. Uh, for those who are non-Spanish speakers or readers, the quote translates to him stating that his identity as a Chicano uh, has a history behind it. This brings me to the following question. What is that history? Well, in the middle of the 20th century, a social and political movement known as the Chicano Movement worked to embrace a Chicano-Chicana identity and fight against the systematic injustices that derived from European colonialism. During the Chicano Movement, Chicanos uh, harnessed the rhetorical, performative, and historical powers of Indianists to craft ideologies of resistance and decolonization. This Indianist ideology that I'm referring to is can be best described as indigenismo. This inter integration of indigenism is closely linked to the ideology of mestizaje. Mestizaje uh, historically is the interbreeding and cultural intermixing of European and and indigenous uh, descendants. Uh, ironically, the Chicano-Chicana social construct derives from the influence of European colonialism. How? In Ben Olgan's essay, uh, Caballeros and Indians, Mestizajes uh, was a result of mass raping in indigenous women. Against their will, uh, women in, of indigenous descent participated in the formation and development of a ethnic group known as the Mestizos. In my opinion, the origins of the Mestizos contradicts one of the uh, fundamental principles of the Chicano movement's combatants against European colonialism. Uh, this Mexican and Chicano-Chicano embracement of 
mestizaje uh, has a historical background that ultimately reinforces white supremacy. Ogan emphasizes heavily on such reinforcement through their interactions with uh, American Indians. It is truly a, an ironic and pretty bizarre time in history. There was this sense of white empowerment among the mestizos. In Ogan's essay, he makes a pretty good point uh, that they were seen by society and even among themselves as the second best thing in the social hierarchy, not equal to a pure-blooded white man, but greater than an Indian, a free black, or a, a slave. Uh, and their justification for that was them being Christian. Um, their association to the Christian church made them distinguishable for being something other than a non-Christian Indian. Uh, and I feel like this got into the mestizos mindset where ultimately uh, it influenced their belief that they were better than than an Indian hence rejecting the indigenous people as a whole. Uh, this is another contradiction in which even though mestizos come from indigenous descent, uh, Indians were still seen as moral enemies. Uh, this anti-Indian sentimentality sadly led to outright acts of colonial violence and uh, coordinated warfare against Indian people. Yeah, that was great, Brian. Uh, thanks for talking about uh, the contradictions uh, present in Chicana and indigenous cultural political as a result of settler colonialism and war. Um, there are so many contradictions present in today's society, uh, especially regarding the colonialism that took place in America. But as of right now, I want to shine a light on the imperialism of the United States uh, upon Latin America, more specifically of uh, Panama. Uh, a brief background is um, in 1901, Theodore Roosevelt actually became president and pushed the idea to make a canal in Panama, which would connect the Pacific Ocean and the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, at the time, it's important to note that Colombia uh, controlled Panama, but with appropriate negotiations, uh, Panama claimed their independence from Colombia with the help of the United States. And the United States eventually got what they wanted, and they also created the Panama Canal. Uh, this is interesting because this was different from all the other conquests that they have done. Uh, America usually acquires land through war, such as what they did with the Philippines or Cuba. But this was different because this was done with negotiations. And this acquiring of territory really set them on the top of the world. And eventually they became a spotlight uh, showing that their America's industrial power is really strong. And overall, they are, this is where they start influencing the world. Their acquiring of this territory was praised by all, and the world started to see America as a world power due to their act of imperialism towards Panama. This act of imperialism was praised, which is understandable because economic growth was a result um, 
and Panama's independence was a result. And it showed like anything can be possible. It connected people from different races, different cultures all over uh, Latin America and the world. Uh, all of these are great things, but it's rather ironic because the British could say the same thing when they colonized America. The British would say that they were sharing their religion with the natives and they helped promote economic growth for them. And they even taught the Native Americans how to do uh, things in a modern way of life, a modern aspect. Uh, but now it's 2020 and look what happened to the Native Americans. Here it is seen like history does repeat itself, but this time it's towards Panama and maybe not into an extreme way as it did with the Native Americans, but the colonization of America and the imperialization of Panama uh, may have brought all of those great positive things such as connecting the diverse people, economic growth, and many more, but that's only the big picture. Uh, the world is seeing this a great Panama Canal created by the Americans as a big picture thing. But looking at it more closely, especially within the territories of Panama, it's not really what it seems. Again, the imperialization of Panama through the Panama Canal was depicted as an act of aid, especially because it released Panama from Colombia, making it an independent. America is seen as a hero for many. However, that's not really the case. This is due to the fact that that freedom came with a price, not not just the canal itself, but the very value, the very way of living, and the cultures of the Panamanians were used to and how they did things were being discarded due to this American intervention. Things had to be done in an American way. An example is that, I quote, an effort was made to reproduce American comfort and culture identity as suggested in a chart describing furniture allowances to employees receiving less than $400, end quote. The workers who were in a lower bracket of earning money were given an opportunity to buy American furniture. This act was not done out of the kindness of their heart, but because behind it, they wanted to Americanize the homes of these workers and wanted them to abandon their native ways of living. The Americans wanted Panamanian culture and lifestyle to be abandoned and even made it possible for them to claim the so-called Americanness by giving them special deals which specifically targeted them. To fix this lack of Americanness in Panama, they exported these goods as if to replace the current culture with a more favorable one. The American foreigners were not able to accept the diversity around them. On the other hand, the natives of the land had to adapt to the customs of the very people who had imperialized them. The lower class are victims and are used in these programs as an incentive to imprint American ideals. However, even the Panamanians who acquired this so-called Americanness were not considered American. A native from the uh, Panama expressed that she knew the Panama anthem and the American anthem, but was still unable to be considered American. Overall, it is ironic that the natives had to adapt to the American ideals, especially similarly how twisted it is if you were to invite a guest over to your very home, home and had to adhere to their preference in the way that they do things. There is no respect whatsoever. 
the Americans are treating Panamanians as guests in their own homeland. It seems that the American mindset is that the American way is far superior to others and it is the right and only way that things should be done. Just because the Americans help Panama, help, uh, Panama win their independence does not mean that the Panamanians have to subject themselves to these American customs and standards. Some Americans may argue that adhering to these American customs and standards are a sign of gratitude, but does that gratitude extend to them eradicating Panamanians' way of doing things and, and how they identify themselves as? I don't think so. Was the Panama Canal not enough of a present? The Panama Canal itself should be more enough, should be more than enough of a reward due to the fact that all eyes were on America and they were de being depicted as a strong industrial world power and even a world power itself. They are respected by the world and envied. Is that not enough? And when is it enough? Thank you, Michael, so much for that good description on American imperialism in Panama. But for now, for my segment, I will be discussing the ways cultures and genders are considered intimately and politically in our gentrified society. So kind of to go more of a, uh, what my basis of the segment I will be discussing would be Georgia Sanchez article, which was on mothers and their motherhood based off the Americanization of Mexican immigrant women throughout the times of this certain time frame of the 1915s all the way up to 1929. Sadly as it may be and not really much of a surprise to us though that there are not many ethnicities where women are seen to be equal as men in either relationship or in a household. Because of this kind of idea though we do get a lot of men who seem to be aim the main breadwinners breadwinners in the household and they see their wives as to keep them all as housewives and to maintain any needs that the house may be when it comes to kids or anything that the husband may ask for. Because of this we have had and created and seen the creations of programs to help Americanize women um, have their own cultural transformation with herself and her family. Also, because of this, women are targeted in these programs because they seem to be the sole reason behind the transmission of values in the home. This truly means that if the Mexican female adopts American values, she will then carry the power to then pass down these kind of traditions to her family and then mix in, in with the Mexican culture. But since women are seen to be housewives, there seems to be a concern with the reformers in these programs about what Mexican women and how they continue to lag behind men in learning the English language. A study has been conducted that shows a thousand, about roughly 1,081 Mexican families in Los Angeles that was conducted in 1921, found out that 55% of the men were, were unable to speak English and overwhelmingly 74% of the women cannot speak the language. The conductors of this research also found the reason behind that was because a, mar a married Mexican laborer does not allow his wife 
does not allow, okay, precisely, it does not allow, and even more, emphasizing a rule on their wives that they are not allowed to attend any evening classes to be able to receive and gain her own education because of the machismo mentality. Isn't that ridiculous? Like, that's crazy to me, honestly. Personally, I find that really ridiculous. I would never be with somebody ever like that, but that's that's just my opinion. But that but that's not even just to start off that being education. This also limits when it comes to job opportunities and independence. Women have only been offered low income paid jobs and not because of their men but also because of racial attitudes. They're only given job opportunities like caregivers or maids because of the relations of economic interest that was found and then became restricted to immigrants. Um, the Anglo-American politicians politician advocated that the idea of racial superiority against me- Mexican immigration was ideal to have in a society. This was pushed and succeeded to limit immigration from Asia and Southern and Eastern Europe. This is honestly so disappointing to see how all of this has happened barely 100 years ago and how far we have come. So this basically also be saying, and it's sad to see that, you know, these politicians are using these kind of tactics to put everyone against each other when we should be coming together and make sure everyone is succeeding, not just one certain gender or one certain ethnicity. Because I, me personally, I'm a Mexican-American female pursuing higher education. And it just goes to show how different what is now and what it was then. Because the tables had definitely turned. And the female gender are the ones who have the highest percentage of being present in the college classroom. And also being the highest of getting a college degree. So there goes to show you, you know, that, that just because I'm a female or just because they were a female, that doesn't mean that. They were not capable of doing what men can do. It was just that they were never given the opportunity or being put in the position to prove their worthiness. Thank you, Ashley. I appreciate your segment on how culture and gender are constituted intimately and politically in our gentrified society. I will be talking about how American law justifies genocide and institutional racism against American Indians and Japanese Americans. Bert mentions how Japanese-American men had resistance to Nono boys during the war. These men were incarcerated at the Tuolu camp because of the loyalty questionnaire. These men marked no to swear unqualified allegiance to the United States of America. The American law justified these corrupted actions by magnifying relationships between wartime incarceration, relocation, and the U.S. colonial policy. They were being treated the way they were because because it was not seen as a violation of these ethnic minorities. They struggled against the federal government and knew it violated their civil rights. Racism is institutionalized against Japanese Americans by removing Japanese Americans to relocation centers. Racism against American Indians was shown by the U.S. colonial expansion. These groups of ethnic minorities resisted relocation and wartime dissent. As the American law keeps justifying genocide and institutional racism against American Indians and Japanese Americans, the War Relocation Authority, known as WRA, began to transform internment into a segregation camp. 
men who were listed under no-no boys, individuals who applied for expatriation and repatriation to Japan or evidently disloyal were incarcerated in the segregation camp. With Burt's writing on American's colonial history, we can see how genocide was justified because of the little group of minorities that were loyal to the United States of America. They were treated the way they were because they did not want dishonest individuals who fought for their civil rights. These groups of people were convicted of incarceration for life and even kept in segregation camps. Racism against these minorities was shown in the segregation camps where they tried to eliminate different behavior. Furthermore, American law justifies these corrupted conducts because it is done to the benedict of the United States of America. Overall, the discursive flaws and moral contradictions of various readings regarding ethnic minority interventions that dealt with injustices and discrimination are strongly shown in these literary works. We can see how history has ironically changed in some aspects of these minority groups. As for the Chicano movement and flip rural women in the 21st century compared to a decade ago, these imperative truths helped us open our eyes to view the world in a distinct way. We are taught what they want us to learn, but when we actually read, we see how appalling they were treated. Our contemporary society has grown has given more liberty to ethnic minorities. We all appreciate you listening to our podcast, Contemporary Truth, Stay tuned for more critical information with our wonderful guests. Thank you once again.